Well, again, good evening and welcome to the Neighborhood Church. My name is Adam. I'm a pastor here. We're so glad that you've joined us after your Thanksgiving feast and coma. Uh, We're glad that you're here. Um, As we've said several times tonight, we begin a new season. It's the first season in the church calendar year, and that is the season of Advent. And in just a few moments, uh, we have a guest speaker that will be talking about the first theme of Advent, and that is hope. And so I'd like to just say a word or two to introduce you to my friend, Keese. This is Keese Keesler, and if Lindsay Riddell, Bud's daughter, were here, she would say, I don't like Keese, I like David. So you can call him David, but most of the world calls him Keese. And if you recognize that name, Keesler, it's because he is the son of Kathy and Sid Keesler, and uh, we're so pleased that he's with us. He was the founding pastor of a church in Miami called Rhythm. Until just recently, uh, God opened up some amazing opportunities at the beginning of this year, and he is now working with um, a man named James Brian Smith, who has authored several books, and one of them we just went through in our fall class, uh, and that's called The Good and Beautiful God. It's part of the Apprentice series, and he met Keese, and uh, he was certain that maybe God was bringing to him someone who can work alongside him, and sure enough, uh, he did, and he did in Keese and Sarah. So they just recently moved from Miami to Wichita, Kansas. If you could think of like two polar opposites, maybe Alaska, but like halfway across the country to Kansas is getting like opposite from like South Beach. But anyway, uh, so now he's a professor of spiritual formation. He's the director of the institute that James Bryan Smith uh, works with. And so we're just pleased to have him here with us tonight. So y'all be sure to encourage him and and thank him. Um, I don't know. He teaches a lot, but I don't know that he preaches that much anymore. So y'all watch out. Okay. Uh, So please uh, make Keith welcome here uh, after our time uh, of worship. But uh, right now, I'd like to ask you, if you would, if you're willing and able, would you stand as we read God's word together before Keith comes and preaches? This is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Keith. All right. Shalom, friends. Oh, you can talk back. Shalom. So good to see you, cats. It is so good to, to share with you. I'm going to turn my timer on here so I can be sure to uh, respect your time. And I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bible, to pull out that bad boy. And, uh, and I will tell you in a moment where to turn to. I'm going to tell you in a moment where to turn to with that. And, and, and I hope you don't mind if it's, if it's all right, Adam. But I'd love to come down here because I'm teaching now. I'm, I'm teaching in the classroom. So I feel more comfortable just kind of a conversation between friends and family if, if that's all right with you cats. That's all right? Okay, wonderful. Um, a few words before we turn in Scripture together. Uh, my beautiful wife... Sarah, my Indian princess, is here with me, and uh, she'll be uh, she'll be leading us in a in a in a song. Right? You're still doing the song, yeah? She'll be leading a song afterwards. You'll get to hear her. But so glad that she can be here with us. And I want to say um, I've got so much respect for your pastors. Getting to meet Adam and Bud last spring, um, which had been I'd heard a ton about them. Uh, from my parents, but being able to sit down with them and, and let my hair down, let my belly out, and get to know them a bit better. Uh, you have some awesome pastors. You have some wonderful folks as your pastors. And also just want to say a word about my folks. Every chance I get to publicly honor them, it is very in vogue today to speak about being a self-made man. I am anything but... I am the result of two amazing parents who have raised me and loved me into the person I am today. So, yeah. So in your, uh, in your Bible, I'd like uh, to ask you to turn to a page that I bet no preacher has ever asked you to turn to. Go out on a limb there and make that claim. And in fact, if you have a smartphone, I mean, in my classroom, it's like, uh, okay, turn your Bibles on to, because everyone's using their phone. If you, have a, uh, if you have the Bible on your phone, I bet there's not even a page for it in the Bible app. I want you to turn to the page that separates the Old and the New Testament. So it's right after, uh, it's right before Matthew, Matthew 1. But it's right after Malachi 4. And uh, this page in your Bible might just be blank. Uh, some of you might have it where it says the New Testament. What does your say? New America. It's uh, just giving a shout out to the translation there. Uh, it says New Testament at the bottom. So, yeah, what does yours say, Adam? Just says the New Testament. <laughs> so, uh, this page represents what is called the intertestamental period of history. In, uh, in other words, uh, in between the Testaments. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this period of time was around 400 years. 
So take a look at that page. If you got the Bible app, sorry. Just look into your phone, stare into it. That page represents 400 years of history. Now, lots, of ha- lots was happening in the world um, and in history during this period. Tons of stuff was happening, actually. Uh, Persia was in power when the Old Testament was ending uh, and when Malachi was being written. By the time you turn that one page to Matthew, uh, by that time, Rome is in power. Alexander the Great had tried to conquer the entire known world. So there was all sorts of stuff happening in history, all sorts of stuff happening in the world. But the prophets had nothing new to say from God to the people. 400 years. 400 years of silence. That's a long time. And so the people were tempted to believe that God was absent. The people, generation after generation after generation, and you can imagine that people were tempted to believe that God was no longer involved in the workings of the world. That he was no longer involved in the course of history. Now, the people of Israel knew that God had promised them something. That God had promised to show up in a bigger and better way in the future. They knew the promises that the prophets had brought to them. These promises uh, that a Messiah would come, that He would rescue His people, that He would establish God's kingdom, God's reign, God's loving rule on earth as it is in in, in heaven, but it hadn't happened yet. And it had been a long time. And so they sat waiting, we sit with a blank, page of Bible. So this, uh, this blank page represents a question that every Israelite had to wrestle with. Will I continue to trust and hope despite not being able to see how God is at work? Will I continue to trust and hope in what God has promised even when everything else appears to point to the contrary. I wonder if we can relate to this blank page. I wonder if there are times when we struggle with despair. Times when we're tempted to believe that God is absent. I wonder, again, I'm in the classroom a lot, so let me just open this up for, for a little bit of discussion for a moment. What, what are some of the things going on in our world right now that can make us feel hopeless? Divorce. The election. State of the economy. Social media. What was that? Children. Catastrophes, poverty. As I was thinking about this past year, I thought about the, uh, all the Syrian refugees trying to flee the civil war there. And at times, at times it makes you feel helpless. Me and Sarah talk about we, we want to do something. What, what can we, how can we get some of those, you know, 
refugees in our city and in our home. And thought about the threat of ISIS. A survey shows that Americans are more fearful than they have ever been since 9-11. I thought about the racial tension in our country that, that feels more prevalent now than it has since I can remember. And I actually don't think that's true. I just think it's more on the surface now. I think it's been there for a long time. And I do think about uh, probably the ugliest election season that I have ever lived through. And wherever you fall on, on in, 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 in politics, maybe you, you're losing your marbles because you think Trump got it elected, or maybe you're on the other side that you're like, finally, we're going to have somebody clean it up. But, but now you're on edge because it feels like there's so much restlessness in the country, and it's not... These things can get us to the point of despair. You and I sitting with our own blank page of the Bible, wondering, where, where is God right now? Why does it feel like He's distant? Why does it feel like He's not as involved in the world and in our lives as He ought to be? This blank page in our Bibles represents the question we each have to answer. Will I continue to trust and hope even when I can't see how God is at work? See, hope is not something passive. And if I was able to go through the entire Hebrews passage that we read earlier, I would love to show you how biblical hope is made up of two ingredients. It's, it's made up of, of faith, and it's made up of patience. It requires both of those things. Hope isn't automatic. You have to reach out for it. It's an act of the will to choose to have faith and then to wait patiently. It's both of those things. Here's what I want you to do. If you have your own Bible, um, how many of you have your own Bible? Okay. For all four of you. <laughs> Take your pen or pencil and on that blank sheet in your Bible, write the word hope. If you don't, I want you to vandalize the Bibles in here. No graffiti art happening tonight. Just write, just write a single word, hope. So it is the first weekend of Advent, and, and you guys are right into that, man. We, it feels kind of odd right after Thanksgiving to jump in, right, and to be singing the Christmas songs and stuff. But that's the reality of Advent, is that we need some time to prepare for the birth of Christ. And that's what the church has historically done with this season of Advent. And, and Adam had asked me to speak on hope, which is one of the traditional themes of Advent and how fitting how fitting it is for us to be talking about hope right now. With everything that I was sharing and you, you were sharing, of all these reasons that can lead us to at times feel hopeless, to at times come to the brink of despair. And, and so here's what I want to do for the next minute. is I want to define what biblical hope is because when Scripture uses the word hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. And often we hear... Uh, people using the word hope 
in that way. We often hear the word hope used to convey something that they wish for or want to happen, but don't know if it will. And that's quite different from the biblical use of the word hope. So, for instance, if you're going to be traveling in the next month, uh, if you're going to be traveling for the holiday, we might say something like, I hope my plane leaves on time. So it expresses a desire, but there's no certainty. Or I could say something like, I hope that my wife will cook chicken piccata this week. It expresses a desire, but there's no certainty that it will happen. But chicken piccata is one of my favorite dishes. And so by mentioning it in this, her- in this sermon, I hope that it exponentially increases the chances of me getting it in the next week. Or here's one more example that I could throw out. One more example that I could throw out. I mean, we might say, I hope that the Texas Longhorns have a winning record next year in football. And see, now we're really getting into wishful thinking. <laughs> and I had to throw that one in for my dad. <laughs> but here's what, here's what we've got to see this evening, is that biblical hope is quite different from wishful thinking. Quite different. In Scripture, and if we have this, in Scripture, hope is a confident expectation. So biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. So I know, you know, I'm kind of moving fast here. Let me just repeat that so you can marinate in that. Biblical hope not only desires for something good to happen in the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it's going to happen. Anybody familiar with Emily Dickinson, the great poet? Phenomenal, phenomenal poet. Um, One of the greatest American poets to ever live. Maybe one of the greatest poets to ever live, and her poems weren't taken seriously until 70 years after her death. That's an entire generation. She was way ahead of her time. She's got this uh, one poem that she wrote about hope that is startling. Here's how the first stanza, here's how it goes. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. She's saying that hope is like a bird within us. It's perched on the soul. It's singing the tune without the words. So the song is without definition. It's without lyrics. It's it's being hummed, perhaps doesn't yet have the lyrics, but it goes on singing within us. So to have hope means that we don't, maybe we don't have everything figured out. Maybe we don't have everything pinned down. Uh, Often we don't have definition. We don't know how things exactly are going to pan out, but we do know that God is going to come through. We do know that He will bring to bear that which He has promised And so hope just keeps on singing and humming within us. 
Here's what another poet says. This is King David in Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Here's why this is so important for us to know. And if I could just get real here for a moment. We live in a day and age where we are constantly being let down by the empty promises of others. Whether it is politicians making grandiose promises or companies guaranteeing certain results that will instantaneously happen if we just use their products we are constantly being let down and king david says the one sure thing in all the universe that will never let you down is god almighty never let you down paul says something similar in romans chapter 5 quite simply he says hope does not disappoint You can put your trust and hope in God because He will not disappoint. Okay, back to the blank page in your Bible. Those Israelites that waited and hoped those during those 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, those Israelites that continued to put their trust and hope in God despite not being able to see how everything was going to work out, those Israelites were not disappointed. God came through. God was true to His promise. The long-awaited Messiah came into the world. For unto us a Savior is born. This is what we do each year when we remember this and we celebrate this reality, that God came through on this promise That hope does not disappoint. He was right on time. As Paul says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. So, all four of you that have your own Bibles here and not the Bible apps, with your pen or pencil, finish the statement on that page. Hope does not disappoint. Now, here's the interesting thing about the season of Advent, and it was actually mentioned uh, earlier when we began, that Advent, it's not just about the first coming of Christ, it is also about the second coming of Christ. And I I didn't know this until a few years back when I really began to study the the season of Advent and how the church has historically uh, celebrated it. Advent is the time when we celebrate Christ's birth, His first coming, but it's also a time when we anticipate His second coming at the end of history. And if you just think about it with me for a moment, if a theme, if one of the four traditional themes of Advent is hope, it makes no sense if it was just about His first coming, because that's already come about. Hope is something that is future-looking, so it wouldn't be a theme for us to continue pondering and celebrating unless it had a future-looking aspect to it. Decided to come back. It's going to get better, baby, the sermon. It's going to get better. So, let's talk about that future uh, 
looking, that forward-looking dimension of Advent. As followers of Jesus, we we have a massive hope. Massive hope. Not, Not a massive wishful thinking. A massive dose of hope. Confident expectation. Because Scripture says a day is coming when Christ will return. And He will bring about the renewal of all things. You see, the kingdom of God is life under God's reign. Life under God's loving rule. And the kingdom was breaking into this world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He has inaugurated the kingdom of God. It has begun. But Scripture says the day is coming when the king will return. Why do you think Tolkien names the last of the Lord of the Rings the return of the king? It takes the king coming back for the kingdom to fully be present. When Christ comes, it will be the consummation of the kingdom. And the images that we are given in Scripture of this are breathtakingly beautiful. Let's do an exercise together. I want to ask you if you would for a moment, just close your eyes. And, and I, want you to rea- I want you to imagine the reality that, that Scripture describes of when Christ returns and the kingdom is fully present on earth as it is in heaven. We're told that when Christ returns, every tear shall be wiped away. That every wrong will be made right. Do you, do you see somebody in pain right now? Somebody that has tears running down their face. Now imagine those tears being wiped away. We're told that when Christ returns, justice will roll down like water all over the world and righteousness like a mighty stream. Can you see somewhere, using your imagination, this is, this is to, to sanctify the imagination, with your imagination, see somewhere in the world where there is injustice. And now see justice coming to that place and righteousness flooding in like a mighty stream. We're told that when King Jesus returns, oppression will be a thing of the past. Poverty will be eradicated. Racism will be non-existent. There will be no more world hunger. No more scarcity. With your imagination, see this. We're told that when Christ returns, swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Weapons will be turned into farming tools because there will be no more fighting and no more war. This is the good future that God has in store for the world. It is history with a happy ending. And our God who is good and loving and merciful and just and beautiful, this God is also powerful enough to bring this to be. 
Okay, open your eyes. Now, some of you might say, hey, those beautiful little exercise keys. But um, how is that going to be possible? Our world is just too chaotic. Our world is just, it's too crazy. It's too violent. It's, it's just too, it's too much of a mess. My answer to that is that Jesus can handle our mess. And you want to know how I know that? It's because he showed us that the first time that he came. Now, um, do you realize how much we sentimentalize Christmas? Think about the, the nativity scenes that we like to re- recreate. Um, we do this, I mean, often we do this for our children, but we really sanitize the story. I mean, we really sanitize the story. We have songs like, The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Oh, it's so cute. I mean, the hay, the hay that he's laying on, it's, it's very sweet smelling and it's soft. He got little furry animals all around Jesus. It's so nice there. I mean, I'm so glad we're out here in the stable rather than in that cold motel. It's all warm and fuzzy out here. Uh, My friends, here's how the story really went. Jesus was born on the road. He wasn't in his hometown of Nazareth. They had to go to Bethlehem because of the consensus. So he wasn't born in his hometown, nor was he born in a home, in a house, because no one would let them in. You want to know how it probably went, went down? Joseph is knocking on doors, asking anyone and everyone if they will take in him and his wife, and door after door is being slammed on them, and then Mo- Mary says, um, uh, Joseph, I think this thing is happening. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the baby is coming, and, and Joseph says, what? Uh, here? Now? Well, well, let's just go into this stable. Let's go into this stable. When was the other time, any other time in history that those words were sa- said when someone was about to give birth? Well, let's just go into this stable. It's dark in there. It's cold. It's terrible. And this 14-year-old girl gives birth right there next to the urine and the manure. If you ask a pediatrician, they will tell you that there are some terrible things that infant babies can get from cows and other animals. You, you probably didn't have the idea of giving birth in a stable next to cows. and other, No, no, it, it would not be a good idea. <laughs> Nor in your home. It, Jesus, Jesus was laid down in a feed trough. Can you imagine that? He's laid down in a feed trough. We have sanitized the nativity, but it is probably the most unsanitized thing possible. Little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Oh, okay, maybe. But right before that, there was blood. There was a mother screaming because she's in labor. There's sweat. There's, there's no epidurals. <laughs> and it's not cool. 
There's no one in rubber gloves. She's giving birth in the middle of the urine and the manure. This isn't sweet and soft, my friends. This is a symbol of the hardness and darkness of the world. Jesus can handle our mess. That's how He came the first time, and it's how He's going to come the second time. He'll enter the mess. He'll enter right into the brokenness and darkness of the world, and He is going to sort it out. He's going to make all all wrong things right. There's no problem that's too big that He can't solve. There's no situation so broken that He can't heal. In Hebrews 6, which we read earlier, which Adam read for us, the author talks about the certainty of God's promises. Again, this is not a wishful thinking. This is a confident expectation. You don't just desire for it to happen. You know it's going to happen. And and you don't don't just expect it to happen. You're confident it's going to come about. And then in verse 19, the author says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope is described as an anchor for the soul. What a rich image. you got to get that tatted next. You need it on the other side. Big fat anchor right there, yes. The job of an anchor is to remain fixed in the seabed uh, no matter what the conditions are at sea. And the rougher the weather, the more important it is for the anchor, the more important the anchor is for the stability and the safety of the boat. And historians have discovered that the early church used the anchor as a symbol for Christian hope and that it was often found right there with the fish, the symbol of the fish. A fish and an anchor. But then the anchor, the anchor, then the author does something a bit funky here. He purposely mixes his metaphors. Remember, we're in Hebrews 6. He purposely mixes his metaphors and speaks of the anchor entering into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So, mixing the, suddenly the anchor has feet and it's going behind the. The curtain, it's going behind the inner sanctuary. The anchor is Jesus Himself, our high priest. And when your anchor is the crucified and risen Christ, the One who said, Behold, I am making all things new. The One who said, Behold, and I will be with you even until the end of the ages. Well, when that is who your anchor is, it enables you to remain hopeful and joyful no matter how dark things get. It's the anchor of the soul. I'll close with this. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings... Gandalf, the great old wise wizard. In the last book, it seems that the weight of the world is on his shoulders. 
He's battling this evil enemy and he's trying to save not a people and not a nation. He is trying to save the world from becoming enslaved to this darkness. And at some point, he's having a conversation. I mean, he's, homeboy just has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And at one point, he's having this conversation, and he just begins to laugh. And I mean, it's not just a little snicker. He begins to laugh deep down. I mean, to laugh from the heart. And one of the hobbits that's his friend looks at him, and as this old wizard is laughing, this hobbit realizes that despite all the darkness that's around, and despite the incredible pressure and stress on this old man, he realizes that underneath it is a fountain of joy. A gusher of joy so deep that no matter how big of a boulder was put on top, that gusher of joy could not be held back. It had to spurt. It had to splash. It had to get out. And here's what Tolkien writes. There was enough mirth down there to set a kingdom laughing. You say, how is such a thing possible? Was the old man crazy? No, not yet. It's because Tolkien is giving us an illustration of when your anchor is the crucified and risen Christ. The one who has said, behold, I'm making all things new. The one who has said, and behold, I will be with you even until the end of the ages. If that is your anchor, it enables you to be hopeful and even joyful no matter how dark things get. My friends, hope does not disappoint. It's like a thing with feathers that perches on the soul and sings the tune without the lyrics. It's like an anchor that holds you safe and steady despite how bad the storm might get. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, we, together as a community tonight, we reach out with the eyes of faith and latch on to you as our hope. We profess, we profess that you are Lord and, and we profess that we trust you even when things don't make sense, even when we don't know how you're going to bring about the promises that you have made, we trust that you will. Even when we don't have definition to the song, we can hear it singing, the tune is being hummed, and we in faith claim that and know that, and we believe that, oh God. Thank you that you are that you are the one who is directing history and will in the end, in the end, bring about your good and beautiful kingdom. Might you use us now in the present to speed up that day.
to work in the present to bring about such a future. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now if you all would stand. We'll close with our benediction. Go now and walk in the light of the Lord. Stay alert, for the Lord is near. Put on the armor of light and live openly and honorably. Pray for peace for all God's people. And may God clothe you in the light of Christ. May Christ Jesus teach you his ways. And may the Holy Spirit keep you alert and prepared for the coming day of the Lord. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.